Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. As we dive into this new series, I read a book by uh, J.D. Greer called Not God Enough. Incredible. And that's what the series is built around. And, and he talks about this idea that almost all of our spiritual problems, things like doubt, apathy, unhappiness, insecurity, that they all originate from one place. And what is that place? That place is us having too small a view of God, that our God isn't big enough. As Americans, you and I, we tend, and as American believers, we tend to prefer a God who's small. We tend to prefer a God that we can manage and that we can predict and that we can control. We prefer a God who feels safe to us. We we want a God that we can understand. We prefer a God who we can explain, and we definitely want a God who's not going to embarrass us. We want a God who's not going to confuse us or contradict us, and we don't want a God who's going to make us mad. But When you open the scriptures, you discover that's not the God in the Bible. The God we see in the Bible is bigger than any words we can use to describe big. The the God of the Bible is not manageable, and he defies our ability to categorize him or even describe him. British philosopher Evelyn Hill says this, if God were small enough to be understood, He would not be big enough to be worshipped. Is your God too small? How big is your God? Solomon talks about something called the fear of the Lord. And he talks about this being an important and necessary component to having a, a, a healthy, growing relationship with God. And he says in Proverbs chapter 1, he says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning of true knowledge, of truly growing into a relationship with God. In other words, he says that that having this trembling awe before the majesty of God, that's really what the fear of the Lord is, a trembling awe before the majesty of the Lord. He says that is important, and without that, we can never truly know God. We can never really get to a place where we can trust God or be able to have a a walk with God, to have a relationship with God. And if you and I don't have that trembling awe before the majesty of God, that fear of the Lord, if we don't have that, it is going to be so easy for us to get tripped up. We will get tripped up by the questions that we present before God, and they have the potential to weigh us down. I'm sure you've asked some hard questions before of God, or maybe you have some friends that have asked those questions and you've struggled to give answers. And maybe in those times you've just wondered, God, why? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Maybe you've had the question, God, I don't understand. Uh, You're a loving God and I don't understand how hell fits into that. Maybe some of you have even asked, God, how can a loving God send somebody to hell? Why isn't God doing more to save people if he's a loving God? Why do bad things happen to good people, and why do good things seem to happen to bad people? You see, maybe these questions or other questions have caused you to wonder about God, to maybe question God. Maybe even you're in this season or been in the season or know somebody where you're in the place of even wondering whether I want to have a faith in God. 
How do I have a loving relationship with a God who just confuses me and confounds me? You see, the issue isn't the questions you have. It's okay to have questions. God's a big God. He can handle it. The issue is that our concept, our idea, our thoughts about who God is are just too small. We tend to have a version of God that's just a slightly bigger version or a slightly smarter version of ourselves. Because that's a God that we think, okay, I can understand that God. That's a God that I can explain. But that version of God doesn't exist. And that version of God cannot sustain a genuine faith. But it's only when you and I travel down the path and we wrestle with and we grapple with the size of God and and really come to understand the majesty and awe and splendor of God. It's only when we travel down that path that you and I can begin to get to that place where we can be in a growing, healthy, thriving relationship with God. So today, to help us with this, I want to unpack the experience of a man in the Bible who has more questions than you can imagine for God. In fact, his name became synonymous with confusion and doubt. His name is Job. Now, uh, we're going to go through the book of Job today, the whole thing, in one sermon, okay? So we're going to kind of fly through it. But let me give you some context. Uh, What do we know about Job? Well, we know he's from Uz. And where's Uz? Well, scholars tell us that you follow the yellow brick road to Uz. No. We don't know where he lived. We don't know what his nationality was. Scholars tell us that the lack of detail over these is intentional because the author doesn't want us to get sidetracked from the main points. The main points the authors want us to focus on is Job's questions. They're questions that you and I oftentimes have of God. But then, what is God's response to those questions? How does God answer? How does God respond? We're told in Job chapter 1, verse 1, and this is the key. It sets the whole stage. It says that Job was blameless. He was a man of complete integrity, that he feared God. That's what Solomon Proverbs was talking about. He had this healthy majesty and awe of the splendor of God. And so he feared God and he stayed away from evil. So you have this good and godly and righteous person. And then the next thing you know, we're transported to heaven. And we're in heaven and it appears that God's having some type of staff meeting with a bunch of his angels. And one of the angels, the fallen angel, Satan, is there. The word Satan in Hebrew means uh, uh, accuser. It can also mean the, the prosecutor. And so Satan is before God, and he raises this question before God in, in Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And he says to God, he says, God, the only reason that people are serving you is because it's in their own self-interest to do so. Because, God, they serve you because you're taking care of them and you're giving them stuff. And you've blessed Job so much. And Job had a lot. He had been blessed. And Satan says, you've blessed him so much, of course he serves you. But you let him suffer, God, and then he'll give up on you. God tells Job in verse 12, he says, all right, you can take everything away from Job that he loves and that he values. And, I'll sh- and you'll see, he'll still value and care about me. And so for the next two chapters, that's what happens. Satan comes in, literally takes everything from him, everything that he cares about, everything he values, friends, fam- uh, family, uh, um, uh, property, animals, everything's taken from him. It is interesting, he doesn't take his wife. I don't know what the implications of that are, but we just know that he doesn't take her. Again, I don't know. I legitimately don't know the answer. But I'm just saying, he didn't take her. 
at this point in the narrative, if you're actually reading the story and going through it and you see this good and godly man who fears God, full of integrity, and he loses all of this and you're thinking, God, I don't understand. God, why in the world would you allow this? You would expect as you're reading, looking through Job, I mean, there's a lot of chapters here. There's over 40 chapters. You would expect, okay, if I read through it, I'm going to get some answers. God's going to provide me with some answers and some explanation to why in the world God would allow this kind of suffering. But that's not what we get. We don't actually get answers. At the end of chapter 2, three of Job's buddies show up on the scene, and, and for, from what we can tell, they seem to be pretty decent guys. I mean, they sit with Job in his misery, and they try to comfort him. They do their best that they can to, to kind of help Job and figure out and try to explain the suffering he's going through. And they basically say to Job, Job, look, listen, God is just. We know that. And so we know that everything happens for a reason. So the fact that you're going through this right now, there's a reason for it. There's something going on in your life that God is having this happen to you. And Job says, guys, I hear you, but I'm not that bad of a dude. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. There's no way I warrant this type of suffering in my life. I'm not that bad. And I think, you and I find ourselves in a similar place from time to time. We might be going through difficulties, challenging, suffering, whatever the case, loss, whatever the case may be. And we might find ourselves, have you been there? Where you're like, God, man, I see all those people, and they are way worse than me. God, why am I going through this? Why are you allowing this, God? His friends keep pushing. They're like, Job, there's something. God's just. Everything happens for a reason, so think hard. What is it? There's a reason God's doing this to you. Joe, come on, let's think about it. What is it? Is it this? Is it this? And this goes on for 36 chapters. And finally, Job, he's just exacerbated. He's like, listen, guys, the more you talk, the worse I feel. Okay, I know you're my buddies, but your talking isn't helping. Now, I imagine you've had people in your life like this before, well-meaning people, but the more they try to help you or comfort you or console you in your difficulties and challenges, the worse you feel. And you have the, they, they come to you and they, they offer you the, the little trite phrases, the, the little advice, the cliches to help you in your grief. And I just got to tell you, don't do that. I've sat with enough of you to hear your stories of people who've tried to console you and how that hasn't helped you and it's been difficult for you. So just to give you a little advice, so at least at this church we can all be on the same page. If you have somebody who's suffering and going through challenges and difficulties or loss and it's great and it's huge and it's a weight, if that's the case for them, don't give them the little sayings. Just don't go there. Do this. Just sit there with them. Be there with them and listen to them. Do your best to understand. That's it. That's it. The New Testament talks about this idea, bearing each other's burdens. Draw alongside. Listen. Listen. You don't need to speak. You definitely don't need to offer all the cliches because they don't help. They didn't help Job. Job's friends 
run out of cliches, and so, man, it was 36 chapters of cliches, so they finally leave. Job's sitting there, and he's still confused. The mystery of his suffering remains. Job has so many questions. That's what's been happening through all this. There's so many questions that Job has. I'm a good, I'm a godly, upright person, full of integrity. I have the fear of the Lord. I stay away from evil. God, why? I don't get it. I don't understand. God, all the questions, but he has no answers. In chapter 38, God finally shows up, and Job's thinking to himself, good, finally, God, you're here. Finally, you're going to help me. Finally, you're going to give me some answers, but no. God doesn't give Job answers. What does God do? God turns around and just asks Job a bunch of questions. He asks him a whole lot of questions, over 60 questions worth. He wants Job to think, to gain some perspective in his life. He says things to Job like, hey, Job, I'm curious. You're suffering. You're going through all this. You have all these questions for me. Were you around when I shaped the earth, when I created the earth? Job, what were you doing when I was putting the constellations together? Where were you when that was happening? Job, by the way, do you know anything about storms and where they come from and can you predict them and when they'll be and how long they'll be and how big they'll be? Can you predict any of that? Then you get a whole bunch of random questions from God that he gives to Joseph found in chapter 39. And he says, Job, can you, what, what do you know about the reproduction habits of, of goats? You know anything about that? Job, can you explain the ugliness of ostriches? Can you help out with that? And you might be thinking, if you're reading through all this, God, I get the big questions. I understand those. But God, these little random bizarre questions, what, God, I don't, why are you bringing that up? You see, Job's, God's trying to give Job something. He's trying to give him perspective, to show perspective. And God is saying to Job, Job, if you can't even fathom the mystery behind these, what are simple to me, natural things, what makes you think that you are in the place to have the capacity to understand that which is larger, more grand, and even eternal? You see, Job and all his friends assumed they knew enough about the world And they assumed they knew enough about the world that they could analyze God, that they could understand God. How big is your God? And God said, you guys don't understand. Your perspective on the world is so small, it's so puny. You don't even understand the simple things, the natural things to me like consolation creation and ostrich ugliness. You don't even understand those things. So how in the world are you going to understand the mystery behind that which matters? How are you going to understand anything about me or understand anything about what I've done or why I do what I've done? And then God says, while we're at it, in chapter 40, God says, hey, Job, do you have any interest in running the world for a day? How'd you like to do that? You think that's easy? Some of you, you maybe have wondered, hey, if I could be, you know, president for a day, what would I do? Okay. Yeah, really? What would you do? The whole world. He tells him, Job, so what do you do about injustice? Injustice is happening every second, every day, constantly around the world. What do you do about that? How do you handle it? How do you punish it? How do you punish it now in the future? What do you do, Job? Do you know how many things, Job, are happening in the world right now that you have no concept about? You don't have any idea how much things are interconnected and what's interconnected? God was basically saying, Job, it's way more complicated than you can possibly understand, you little man. And then the book ends. Neither Job nor any of us 
get any satisfying answers to the questions that Job has. Why did it happen to Job in the first place? Why the suffering? Remember, God tells us, Job 1, he's honest, he's godly, full of integrity, has the fear of the Lord. He has all of that. Stays away from evil. Why? Why? The pain, the suffering. Why let Satan do that? Job has so many questions, but all Job gets in return is questions from God. But it's the questions that God raises in returns that helps Job understand and helps us understand the size of God. So what is God's message to Job? And what is God's message to us as we think about a God who is bigger than we can imagine? The book of Job teaches us first and foremost that God is sovereign. That God is sovereign. It means God is supreme. That means that God is absolute, that he's unrestricted. In the book of Job, we see God's absolute sovereignty as he talks, as we see it in the power that God has over creation. We see it in God's power over the angels and even over Satan. Satan can't do anything without the permission of God. And we see that God's purpose in creation, that it goes far beyond our range of experience or thought. Why? Because God is sovereign. For example, God, a little example, God talks about watering a land where there are no people. Chapter 38. I mean, what's the point of that? C.S. Lewis commentates, and he says that the point is that not everything in creation is for man. Sometimes God does things solely for himself and his pleasure and his enjoyment. Now, I understand that just a little bit about God doing things for himself. Because I'll just tell you right now, there, there are times in some of my sermons I will do things and I will say things just to crack myself up. And you have no idea what I'm saying that I'm cracking myself up on the inside. That I'm literally just doing it just because it just gives me a chuckle. And I know now, of course, some of you are going to be like, okay, I want to start watching for those little Easter eggs and paying attention. And all i got to say is good luck on trying to find them. The sovereignty of God means that God has purposes that go beyond our ability to experience or think or understand or comprehend. The one thing that we do know about Job's suffering is that it was the ultimate purpose was to bring glory to God. Job didn't know that God was demonstrating his glory to the angels, to Satan, through Job's suffering. Those who were with us a couple weeks ago, you might remember the story that we looked at of the blind man. And I said that God might choose to display his glory on the platform or the stage of our suffering. That, in other words, sometimes there is purpose in our pain, even when we don't understand or comprehend it. And I know that's difficult, and I know it's a hard pill to swallow. But when you and I recognize that God's power is sovereign, it is supreme, it's absolute, when we understand that, when we understand that you, that me, that everything and all of creation exists for God's glory, when we understand that, how big is your God, when you understand that about God, then we have an opportunity, we have a chance to be able to have some peace, joy, contentment, satisfaction that we would have not known otherwise. The book of Job reminds us that God's power is sovereign. But also the book of Job reminds us that God's perspective is infinite. 
the climax of Job's argument is in Job chapter 42, verse 3, or God's argument. And God says this. He says, who are you, Job, to question my judgment when you don't have the knowledge that I have? One translation said, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? There's something that's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. You can look it up, check it out sometime. I don't have time to give you the details of it, but here's the summary of the Dunning-Kruger effect. It says this, the more ignorant that somebody is, the more confident they are in their opinions. Some of you are like, whoa, I want to write that down. I got to use that on a lot of people. (laughs) Just don't say I got this from the pastor. The more ignorant someone is, the more confident they are in their opinions. In other words, Job, why are you talking so much about what you know so little about? Job, why are you assuming that you can know and that you can understand? You don't understand the mystery behind simple natural phenomenon. And if you don't understand what goes on with that and what's behind all of that, how in the world can you think you can possibly understand my purposes, the purposes of an eternal God? How do you think you could possibly understand the perspective of a God who is in control of all of it? I want you to think about something for a minute. And to help us understand this, I want to give you a little bit of an illustration. We'll do a little mind thinking here for a moment. Kind of blew my mind when I was thinking about it. I want you to understand God's perspective is infinite by talking about God's power. And let's talk about God's power. What kind of power must it have taken for God to create all of the stars? Astronomers estimate that the number of stars is more than 3,000 billion trillion septillion. Okay, for those of you who aren't studying billion trillions and septillions, that's 3,000 with 24 zeros after it. All right, got it. It's a big number. It's impossible to fathom. Let me try to give you a little perspective on such a big number. Let's start with a million. We kind of maybe understand a million. And let's talk about it in terms of our own time and what we've been doing. What were you doing a million seconds ago? You're like, man, that's a big number. Millions, I have no idea. I don't even know how long ago that. A million seconds ago was 11 days ago. Okay, so a million. What were you doing 11 days ago? Okay, let's add three zeros. What were you doing um, a billion seconds ago? You're like, I, I don't know, is that days, weeks, months? I don't know what that is. That was 31 years ago. I know what I was doing 31 years ago. I was in college in the cafeteria every day eating corn pops. And I was eating corn pops because I grew up on Cheerios, old school, like no sugar, right? Grape nuts, rice checks. I get to college, man, I'm scarfing down all the sugar cereal. So that's what I was doing one billion seconds ago. Let's add three more zeros. What were you doing a trillion seconds ago? How long ago? I don't know how long that is. I can tell you what you were doing, nothing, because that was 29,000 B.C. Let's add, so that's one trillion seconds ago. That's, That's one with 12 zeros. Septillion is 12 more zeros. I don't even know where that goes in time or what you were doing one septillion seconds ago. Now think about the fact there are 3,000 billion trillion septillion stars, each of them putting out roughly the same amount of energy as a trillion atom bombs every single second. 
all of those exist in an expanse that, that we just can't comprehend. And all of that created in a single moment by a single spoken word from God. That's the power of God. What do you got? What's your power? You're like, oh man, he's so powerful, he can lift 100 pounds right over his head. And I know none of you are laughing right now, but there is your Easter egg, there is a little comment for me that I was laughing internally at that comment, but none of you were. That's the kind of thing I throw out from time to time that I'd never tell you about, but since I mentioned it, I'm curious. One or two of you might have caught that. Raise your hand if you caught that. Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. A couple of you caught that, right? So I get, okay, let's get back to the sermon. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Oh, man, the, the, de- the depths of it. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. That word inscrutable means impossible to understand or interpret. So let's track along with the illustration. It, it is in, if God's wisdom, God's perspective is as high above mine as his power is above mine, right? We just acknowledge you only can lift 100 pounds above your head. God can create 3,000 billion, trillion, septillion stars in a moment. That's his power. That's how much grand, greater and grander his power is. Such is the case also with his wisdom, his understanding. It's beyond anything we can imagine. And if that's the case, then there can be only one conclusion, that there are going to be things that are beyond my ability to understand. Do you agree with that? You're like, I don't know. Let me redo the whole message again. There are going to be, from God's perspective, Items, circumstances, situations that you and I cannot possibly interpret or understand. His ways are immeasurable. His wisdom is immeasurable. His, his, His strength of knowledge is infinite. Is your God too small? Is your God too small? Because it's entirely possible, isn't it? That God right now is working in your life. He's doing a beautiful purpose or purposes in your life right now that you don't really get to see or you don't get to understand. Isn't that possible? Isn't it possible that God is working out plans in your life right now that you don't see, that you don't understand, that you can't comprehend? It's pretty arrogant of us to assume with our limited knowledge that we could somehow perceive and know and understand everything about this infinitely wise God who has immeasurable perspective. Man, it is, it is incredibly arrogant of us to see God as only a slightly bigger or smarter version than us. How small is your God? How small is your God? In response to God showing Job that his perspective is infinite, Job says in Job 42.3, he says, all right, God, well, clearly I spoke about things I didn't understand. Right? Clearly, God, I, I know what I was talking about. I talked about things that are too wonderful for me to even know. Another translation says, I spoke about things that are beyond my understanding. In other words, Job says, God, I realize I got it. 
I don't know, squat. I thought I was pretty smart, but you, everything about you, you exceed my knowledge. God, I'm now finally starting to see how big you are. And I'm realizing and recognizing I've had the wrong posture in my questions. Don't miss this. It's okay to have questions for God. There's no problem with that. He's a big God, creator of 3,000 billion, trillion, septillion stars. He's not threatened by your questions. That's not the issue of whether we have questions for God. But hopefully, how big is your God? Hopefully you have a God who is so big that there's a sense of the magnitude of, and the, uh, uh, of, the, of the majesty of God, the wisdom of God, and the size of God to whom you're asking those questions. Because in my mind, there's only one posture we can take before that God, and that's humility. We come humbly with our questions. His knowledge is infinite. Thirdly, the book of Job teaches us that God's purposes will prevail. When you understand that God's God's power is sovereign, when you understand that his perspective is infinite, then you're going to have a confidence to know, man, God's purposes are going to prevail. God's purposes are coming through. God's purposes, God's plans are guaranteed. Even Satan's attempt to attack God's people, God's person here in Job, that didn't work out for, 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 um, for, for Satan. We actually discover later in the story God restored uh, to Job, uh, you know, tenfold and and gave him everything that he had before. And we have the book of Job that has been an encouragement and a blessing to billions of people through the centuries. Throughout Scripture, Satan was trying to defeat God and God's people and God's purposes, but every single time God's purposes, God's plans prevailed. The best example, of course, is the cross. Because it was on Friday that everybody assumed it was over. It was done. It was complete. Satan won. God lost. But Friday's disappointment, we know, turned into Sunday's empty tomb. God won. God was victorious. It may be impossible for us, but nothing's impossible for God. We see in the book of Acts, every time Satan tried to destroy the church, God used it, and it led to the expansion of the church And God's doing the same with you, in your life, with your pain, with your suffering, with your struggles. God's purposes will prevail. God's purposes, God's plans are guaranteed. You see, sometimes God will use your suffering, and he'll use that to chastise you or to correct you, to bring you back to him. Think of the story of Jonah. Sometimes God will use our struggles and our suffering so that he can work out salvation in others. Think of the whole story of Joseph and what Joseph went through with his brothers and they left him for dead and they sold him to slavery, but yet God used that to ultimately save his brothers, but even more so to save a nation. Sometimes God will use our pain, our suffering, our difficulties just to help us love him more, like in the story of Job. God's purposes will prevail. His plans are guaranteed, even in our struggles, our challenges, our issues, our pains. Because whatever you're going through, God will use it to shape you, to grow you, to mature you, to develop you. God's purposes will prevail. And finally, the book of Job teaches us that God's presence is present. In Job chapter 19, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. I just wonder, what was Job thinking when he wrote that? Because you and I, 
We have seen our Redeemer live and stand on the earth. Jesus Christ came, suffered, and died so that we could live eternally. And I may not know exactly what God is doing in my pain, but the cross shows me what suffering can't mean. It absolutely can't mean that God has forsaken me or that God has lost control. At the cross, while people may thought that God forsook Jesus and that God lost control, clearly God at the cross was doing his greatest work. And that's what God's doing right now in you, with you, and through you. Whatever you're going through, it may feel like for you a dark night of the soul, but God is working in your pain. You have his presence. His presence is present with you. Jesus said it, I'm with you. I'm with you to the end of the age. And when you and I actually get to the place where, man, we recognize and understand his presence, that's better than any answer to my questions. Because Job came to that place. And when he came to that place, he said in Job 42, verse 5, he said, God, I'd only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. And so, God, you know what? I just take back everything I said. Once he saw God, he's like, God, forget all that. Forget all my questions. I take it all back. And I'm just going to sit here in dust and ashes and show my repentance. A lot of us think we need explanations that we can understand. But I would suggest to you, you don't need an explanation. You need a revelation. You need a revelation of God to be able to see God, the God of the Bible, the God who defies description, the God who is bigger than you can possibly imagine, who is sovereign, who is infinite, who is all-knowing. He is beyond what we can possibly comprehend. And I ask you, are you willing to look and see the beauty of God? Because when you do, you're not going to get wrapped up and focused on asking the why. You're just going to start trusting the who. By the way, it was after Job humbled himself and he repented and he recognized the awesome power of God, the infinite knowledge that God truly has and who he is. It's then that God restored to Job over twice what he lost. It's like God was just giving us in Job's story a glimpse of our future and of heaven where the psalmist says, God, in your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, You may not get all the answers you want. You may not be able to see everything. You may not know why it is you're struggling and suffering, but you can know that your Redeemer lives. Your Redeemer lives and he has pledged his presence to all who would turn to him. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to have a Redeemer who is worthy of worship, who is bigger than you can imagine? A God you can explain is not a God who's worthy of worship. How big is your God? Is your God too small? Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.